0: Sanctions have been imposed on 82 individuals and 29 companies.
1: German payment provider Wirecard went bankrupt on ch- Russia has launched an unprecedented disinformation campaign against...
0: Millions of dollars have been found in various offshore accounts.
1: Welcome to Integrity Insights, the Berlin Risk Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Integrity Insights. This time I sat down with Karin Nershi, an assistant professor at IE University in Madrid, Karen has recently published some research into ransomware groups and specifically their links to the Russian government. This is a topic highly relevant for all financial crime professionals and is also related to our recent publication, which I'll make sure to link in this podcast. I think Karen has uncovered really some fascinating details that had not previously been known and she has a lot to share. So let's jump straight into our conversation. Hi Karen, welcome on the podcast.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Right, so can we uh, start with a brief introduction? Can you tell us a little bit about your career, history or background?
0: Yeah, of course. So I'm Karen Nershi. I'm an assistant professor at IE University, which is in Madrid. And uh, my background or, or my research is in political science. And generally I look at questions Uh, that pose international cooperation and security challenges emerging from new technologies. So in the past, I've researched uh, countries' enforcement of anti-money laundering laws in the cryptocurrency sector. And more recently, I did this project, a big project related to ransomware groups and trying to assess to what degree some of the attacks may be politically motivated. Uh, So this is generally the area of research that I'm interested in
1: very nice and the and the your research on ransomware that's uh, it's also the reason why i invited you on the podcast because i've been working recently on an article myself about ransomware attacks and i came across your study which i found really super interesting and so i'm really grateful that you uh, you could join me here today uh the study is titled uh, assessing the political motivations behind ransomware attacks uh that you published in july 2023 so it's relatively recent um do you think uh you could maybe try to kind of briefly summarize the main findings uh of the study and maybe tell us a little bit about like the context in which you undertook this this study
0: Yeah of course so uh so when i was starting my postdoc at the Stanford Internet Observatory i was interested in looking at this topic of ransomware and Uh, generally it's been thought of as a form of crime, at least especially in the past, we're we're told that it's cybercrime, but there are some developments that suggest that there may be political aspects behind some of the attacks. So that's what I was interested in studying, whether or not we can find any kind of proof of political connections between some of the groups and the types of uh, attacks that they're carrying out. So we collected a data set, we created a data set of uh, over 4,000 victims of ransomware attacks, which are companies, uh, occasionally government organizations, uh, but no individuals are included in this victim dataset. And we primarily collected the dataset by going to sites on the dark web, where some of these groups post about their victims as part of the extortion process. Uh, these particular type of attacks are called double extortion attacks. So we collected this data dataset uh, over a period about, of about six months, or, or actually, sorry, I think it's uh, more like uh, four months, maybe not not positive. but so we have this data set, and then uh, what we look at is differences in the timing of attacks between different types of ransomware groups. And what we find ultimately is that there is an increase in the number of ransomware attacks before elections in several major democratic countries including the U.S. and Germany and uh, a couple of other countries. Uh, So there's an increase by these groups that have core members operating from Russia, but there's no similar increase in the number of attacks by other groups where we don't know that they have any particular connection to Russia. So that's really the main finding. We do also do some other uh, tests as well. And we also analyze uh, a set of leaked chat logs from one of the major ransomware groups called Conti. And that provides some insight into how the group is structured, how it functions. We find evidence of some conversations between the group's top members and uh, parts of the Russian government, like the FSB, the security services. Uh, so that's a bit of a high-level overview, but I'm happy to jump into any part of this that might be interesting.
1: I mean, would I, would my maybe my first question is: Was your intention to all uh, was your in, intention always to look at links between these groups and Russia specifically, uh, or did it just kind of like looking at the the groups and the prevalence of their links to Russia kind of uh, present itself? This option kind of.
0: Yeah, that that so it's more of the second uh the second point. So I was interested in studying this topic and I ended up doing a lot of research, looking at cybersecurity blogs, learning more about the space, how the attacks are carried out, and the dynamics of all the, of this. And so uh it just sort of turned out after studying this that uh many of the groups were operating from from Eastern Europe, from Russia. And, uh, so they were kind of in the space geographically. So there are also some ransomware attacks by, by other groups, by those in Iran, uh, and, uh, North Korea has carried out some ransomware attacks. But just based on the data that we collected, the, the vast majority of them seem to fall into, uh, either groups that were somewhat connected to Russia or groups that we couldn't ascertain what connections they might have, if any. Uh, so it was more of a feature of, of what we saw in the ransomware space. Of course, other states are also engaging in cybercrime, sometimes in, in different uh, aspects of cybercrime. But yeah, it's just really what we saw out there in the data.
1: Mm. I mean, what I found really fascinating was that you kind of, I mean, I don't know if you, can, if you would say that you kind of conclusively proved the connection between those groups and the, the Russian government, or like at least showed a very strong... Uh, kind of plausible connection which I had never seen like that anywhere else I mean there's a lot of like media speculations about these connections but from what I've seen what if like from what my research I haven't really seen anyone else kind of providing this kind of like detailed of uh, evidence on this yeah so uh, where
0: are bad- careful in saying that our data is consistent with a model where there may be these types of connections. So uh, besides the, the evidence that we find in these chat logs, where there are direct communications be- between this one particular group's leaders and the Russian government, we can't really, uh, you, know, you know, it's not evidence of a direct connection, but it's evidence that suggests yeah. that there is some type of cooperation or collaboration that happens, which we suspect is uh, not not super institutionalized by any means. So our analysis of the chat logs show that they seem to be independent criminal groups. So they're not just like a division of the Russian government or the Russian cyber forces. Uh, but yeah, the, the evidence that we find suggests to, to us, and we think it supports the conclusion that there's this sort of loose collaborative relationship between the Russian government and some of these cyber criminal uh, ransomware groups.
1: Mm. And, and another interesting point is that I mean, you you even mentioned uh, now Eastern Europe and and then Russia. But there is a I mean, reading your paper, you kind of uh, talk about how there is a clear, uh, very important distinction between countries like, for instance, Ukraine and Russia, especially when it comes to uh, the countries like relevant authorities uh, cooperating with the Western authorities. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, of course. So. In general, uh, Western law enforcement, including the U.S., including Interpol, Europol, all of these law enforcement services have gotten a lot better over the last five years and even within the last few years at really identifying some of the criminal actors behind these cyber criminal operations and uh, in many cases arresting them. So we see this happen in Western countries, Uh, some of these major cyber criminals have been arrested. But uh, the one of the big problems for the West is that uh, the Russian government has generally provided safe harbor to cyber criminal actors operating within the country, and uh, especially these ransomware groups. So even across uh, Eastern European countries that may not have such active police forces themselves looking for these Cyber criminals. we've seen cases of cooperation between the governments in Poland and the Ukraine with these uh, um, law enforcement organizations to arrest some ransomware operators and other criminal actors. Whereas Russia has really, for the most part, or er, er, has refused to cooperate with Western law enforcement. So, and this is something that I think a lot of people have talked about anecdotally in the field for a long time. So you have cases where the U.S. government might talk to their Russian counterparts and notify them about cyber criminals that they think are operating within the country. And then uh, notably, the Russian uh, authorities are not arresting them. Uh, But also sometimes there are definitely stories that there are recruiting these people to help Russian government do certain activities or they're sort of uh, holding things over their head to try to influence these actors. Because uh, anecdotally and from these stories in the field, it seems like the Russian government is using this information to identify some of the really skilled hackers and cyber actors in space. So uh, what makes Russia unique from from other countries, from most other countries, is the fact that they've really provided the safe harbor and haven't, they've first of all, refused to cooperate with uh, Western law enforcement agencies for the most part, they haven't arrested these actors either on their own.
1: And another key finding in your study is that the amount of ransomware attacks on Western companies and institutions decreased significantly following the invasion, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you argue that this is due to the fact that many of those actors have been uh, conscripted by the Russian government to uh, advance their... Uh, kind of cyber uh, operations, uh, so that they don't have the time to uh, for their own commercial activities. Can you elaborate a little bit on this point?
0: Yeah, so this is really from a few reports that I've seen. One of them put out by by Google, I think, that is getting more direct information about what's been happening, especially since the invasion. And they've been following that so. There have definitely been these, uh, a few reports anyway, but members of the, of the Conte gang were recruited to help the Russian cyber forces carry out attacks against Ukraine. There are also a few tools from two ransomware groups, Conte and another one, Cuba, uh, that were part of their malware arsenal for criminal activities that have been repurposed to carry out Russian government cyber attacks against Ukraine. So this is another uh, part of the paper that we're we're hypothesizing about, which is that a benefit for the Russian government of having these cyber criminal groups within their country, allowing them to operate. And uh, the fact that these groups overwhelmingly, almost exclusively target companies and actors outside of Russia is that by allowing these cyber criminal groups to function, the government can then draw on these actors that are skilled, that are that are cyber hackers, and have experience here, and recruit them for government activities if they need the additional support. Uh, so that's really what we're hypothesizing has happened, and there, there's some evidence to suggest that, that did did happen at least to some degree after the invasion.
1: It's fascinating, and and. Uh... I mean, I don't know if you've actually conducted any additional work on this, but uh, how likely do you think it is that other governments, uh, you know, besides Russia's employ like similar type of uh, techniques?
0: Yeah, so I do have a couple of ongoing projects stemming from this, but I think we've seen the Iranian government Appears to have sometimes collaborated uh, with, with cyber criminal groups. Uh, North Korea has engaged in lots of cyber thefts and uh, to some degree ransomware as well, although they don't really, as far as I've seen, don't really seem to be in this double extortion space. So I would say that a lot of these rogue countries are engaging in cyber crime and have for some time, although the particular activities that they're doing can vary.
1: Mm. And, and, and another very interesting aspect, at least from our perspective uh, of this this whole topic is the the way different authorities, Western governments or organizations are dealing with this. We see that in the, the United States, they have a, a very sanctions-heavy approach where, whereby they have been sanctioning a lot of groups Individuals uh, uh, related to or linked to those attacks. Uh, how how af- how af- effective do you think this 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 approach is?
0: It's a great question. I think uh, in the past we have seen the the U.S. Treasury actually sanction a couple of ransomware groups themselves. That seemed to be a really ineffective method of trying to address this problem because. In response, you see just some rebranding of the groups. They pop up as new groups with a different name. And uh, in some cases, you even had groups telling their victims, uh, we're not we're not the sanctioned group. Like, don't worry, we're we're not sanctioned. Uh, So so that has been an approach. Uh, We also see sanctioning of individuals. Of course, there's been a lot of that since since the invasion. For based on live research and some live prior research into anti-money laundering regulation within the cryptocurrency sector, I think that the main point at which governments can really manage to address this problem through regulation will be through the anti-money laundering regulation within cryptocurrency exchanges, because this is the really the point at which they're they're converting cryptocurrency to fiat currency so they can use it more widely. So there are some regulations that, that a lot of countries, FATF countries, OECD countries have adopted in the cryptocurrency space. So I think by by strengthening those regulations and, and trying to prove that, that's really the avenue that's going to prove most effective, in my opinion, for addressing this challenge.
1: Mm. And spe- speaking of cryptocurrency, that's another uh, interesting subject, the uh... Because basically now the, the the companies that are affected that are uh, by the by ransomware attacks they not only have to worry about this whole you know issue of obviously having their data exposed potentially exposed but also they have to worry about sanctions uh, or potential sanctioned violation if they make those ransomware payments and I and I wonder how, like, how do you deal with this as a company? If because obviously, I assume that these groups they don't formally introduce themselves when they when they attack you, so you don't know who you actually are sending the cryptocurrency to. Uh, so, how how to deal with that?
0: Yes, yeah. So you definitely won't know the individuals, although the groups themselves uh, generally are are promoting their 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 name and their reputation as these criminal actors. Uh, I think, uh, as far as I know, based on the last time I looked at it, we don't really have, uh, we, we don't have laws nationally uh, within countries forbidding companies from from paying these groups, these ransomware actors. So I think we do see an increase in reporting requirements especially at least within the United States that if you do pay a ransom to these actors you need to report it to government agencies and then for some public companies they also need to disclose that there's been some sort of cyber breach but uh for the whole uh, on the whole I don't think that these well I guess I I can't say uh, because I had I you know I don't know exactly what's going on in the calculus in these companies but at least some of them don't seem so worried about uh, potential sanction violations if they if they ultimately when they ultimately end up paying the
1: ransom. Mm. I mean, it's also uh, what you what you just mentioned the 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 potential uh, for uh, forbidding of making these ransomware payments. I. Uh, i mean when i was doing my research i saw that most governments in the uk or the german government they they strongly discourage companies from making those payments but uh, they don't actually forbid them to do so and i and i read about there was in november 2023 there was the white house in washington hosted an annual international counter ransomware initiative summit and one of the kind of main outcomes was that the 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 delegates then expressed their kind of collecting stance against uh ransom payments so there the, the was clearly like a will uh, expressed that uh, this should be this is something that should be banned on a on a on a global level but uh like how likely do you think this is this is, that the, the, the payments will actually be banned uh,
0: you know i Honestly, I don't see a a ban on payments actually working. So, of course, if there was a way to get all these companies and all these countries to stop paying ransoms, then this type of crime would no longer be valuable. And uh, probably these groups would switch to doing something else, some other type of cybercrime. So and, you know, a big concern here is that there's a there are really large sums of money going to these criminal actors, which is, of course, dangerous and, and a really bad outcome here. But I think just based on some of these cases you see occasionally, sometimes there are attacks against hospitals. Sometimes you have actual actually people's lives sort of hanging in the balance as they're waiting for machines and systems to come back online. Uh so I think at this point, given how widespread the problem is across many sectors, across these uh developed countries, I think trying to get this ban in place at this point would probably prove probably prove too difficult. So in my opinion, I feel like the best way for countries to or, to work on this or to regulate this is through the the cryptocurrency exchanges.
1: Mm. And maybe maybe the last questions regarding crypto uh cuz i mean as you mentioned you do also a lot of work on uh, anti money laundering and and crypto how do you like how do you see that all these issues ransomware crypto money laundering how does it all come together yeah so uh
0: so I, I came at this as we were chatting about a little bit earlier through my interest in anti-money laundering enforcement, and then I looked at the introduction of these laws within the cryptocurrency sector, which is very interesting. And actually, when I started looking at the ransomware project, I thought I might be looking at say, like cryptocurrency payments to the groups, but then it just turned out that looking at the victims provided this this clearer path. but yeah, cryptocurrency uh, on the whole has really provided an avenue for a lot of these, uh, for the payments related to these crimes. So actually what people think is the first ransomware attack happened in 1989 and there was this researcher that shared floppy disks with, uh, with a malware virus on it and the instructions told people to send a, a traveler's check to a post office box in Panama. So you can have ransomware attacks without cryptocurrency, but it's just enabled it on a much much larger scale. And the fact that it's digital and pseudo anonymous has has given these threat actors uh, a way in. So, uh, so yes, I think that cryptocurrency has played a really important role, uh, of course, in this ecosystem of cybercrime by really functioning as the main form of payment. And so I think as countries, and especially Western countries, uh, get better at at really regulating the sector, regulating where it touches the, the traditional economy, where it's connected to, to fiat currencies, uh, that will hopefully really help to, over time, uh, make some of these crimes less profitable and, and hopefully lead to a decrease in these crimes over time.
1: Hopefully. Karen, thank you very much yeah. for your time. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much. It was great being here. Bye.